welcome to the FSF and Tapestry podcast. I'm Jules and today I'm joined by consultant and author Orlean Badu. Welcome Orlean, it's lovely to see you. Thank you Jules, nice to meet, nice to be with you. And um, can we begin with you telling us a bit about yourself and your journey to where you are now? Uh, yes we can. So I um, started out as a teaching assistant many many years ago. I did a year working as a teaching assistant in a primary school and I think that was all the evidence that I needed that I loved teaching and wanted to be in schools. Um, I've been teaching now for just under 20 years um, and I've worked in a couple of schools in inner city London. Um, I think I was always a teacher that wanted to work in schools that had um, children that were most in need of a great education, mm-hmm. um, although they all are, but um, just in terms of kind of children that are quite marginalised, those were always the children that I loved um, working with and teaching and their families. Um, I was ahead for about seven years um, of a primary school. I've also done a sort of stint as a um, head of primary and an all through pupil referral unit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got quite a long history in education and I decided that it would be really good to think about um, becoming a consultant. So I'm a education consultant. I do a lot of work around racial literacy. Um, I've done that for about four years now. Um, and I've also written a book entitled How to Build Your Anti-Racist Classroom that was released this year. Um, yeah, and I'm just really keen to um, create actionable change in the education system. And that's kind of a short synopsis of my journey. It's had many twists and turns, but yeah, that's yeah. it. Thank you. Thank you. And I wanted to kind of begin this conversation by asking about where does anti-racism work start and where does an educator begin? That feels like a really big question, but I just felt like that that might be a question people are thinking. I mean, that's, it is a huge question. And I mean, the easy answer now would be to say, you can start with my book. (laughs) Let's say that. (laughs) As a way of beginning the work, but actually, um, I often speak to school staff and educators about the need to start with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can be really, uh, it's a huge piece of work. We're trying to change systems that have been longstanding. Um, And I think having that sense of starting with ourselves, starting with our own racial literacy, starting with our own understanding of the lived experiences of our pupils, starting with our own perceptions and biases that will impact on um, what we see and how we respond. Um, And I think starting with ourselves has really got to be the first um, port of call for us as individuals. And I think I often work with um, staff about sort of not, you know, sometimes we can become really aware of other people that need to work on their biases and their perceptions. And actually what the book explains to us is that it's something that we all need to work on and we need to start with ourselves. Um, if you're in a school that is committed to this work, then that's really super helpful because you have that support um, across the staff team and through your leadership team. But actually, um, as, as I say quite a lot, we don't have to wait for that. We can begin with ourselves and then think about ourselves and then leading on to our practice 
I think it does take a commitment to action. So change is really difficult. And uh, this work requires a lot of change and a lot of um, reflection, a a lot of, you know, understanding of kind of long held systems and processes and how we begin to unpick that. So actually it can be really challenging work. So actually a commitment to um, creating action is going to be really important for us and saying that from the get-go and not deviating from that when it feels difficult or when it feels tough or when it feels challenging, but remembering that core purpose. Um, And I think, yeah, just the acceptance that it will be challenging. um, And, you know, any work that's worth doing is challenging. And we know that. um, And I think it's really important to start with the children, start with their experiences um, and be open to seeing what those experiences are and understanding those experiences um, and that commitment to change for their benefit. Yeah, I, I, a, a word that came to mind as, as you were talking about all of that was that, I can, that you know, there's, there can be that sense, I suppose, of how overwhelming it is when you're trying to bring about that that systemic change for something that is so woven into our systems and how everything is done. And but I've read a couple of things that you've you've said um, before, Orlean, and and I'm really struck by how you acknowledge that, but you also say things like it's a job we can do. Um, and you said um, one classroom at a time. It's something we can all do together. And I, that really strikes me that there there is also this sense that that yes, it is all of those things, but actually we can start and we have to start and we have to keep going. Absolutely. Um, I think if you think about kind of the current context, you know, the landscape is very, it feels really polarised. It feels like it's a really difficult space to do the work. I think it feels like there are lots of um people that are doing the work but that's against the backdrop of a political landscape that's kind of um not sure about the work doesn't you know wants to wants a classroom to be about teaching and only teaching um and what does that mean um but that's a that's a whole nother podcast yours but yeah (laughs) we know the political landscape we're in and yet there are still teachers there are still educators that are committed to this work there are still teachers and educators that recognize the importance of this that want to be the role model that their children need that want to show the direction we should be traveling in um and actually you know we don't have to wait for um those systems and that landscape to catch up we can start one classroom at a time and that's and i think education's always been like that i think education's always been slightly ahead has always pushed um for change and I think there is no reason why we can't start the work and if we all do it one classroom at a time there's we've got movement yeah yeah um you mentioned at the beginning in in your in your introduction about yourself about your work around racial literacy Mm -hmm. and I wondered if you could talk a bit more about racial literacy what does it mean and how do we develop it so um, I get asked this question regularly because I think so many people, it, it's a term that is heard quite regularly at the moment. And I often refer to um, the description that's given in the Running Me Trust report that was produced by Dr. Remy Joseph Salisbury, but um, I think it's entitled Racism in English Schools. And um, in that, the description is that racial literacy is about every one of us having an in-depth understanding of um, race and racism in the UK. 
Mm. So it's understanding the context. It's knowing the lived experiences. It's having access to understanding how all of our systems intersect and collide and can feel like an insurmountable um, uh, space, a hostile space for those who are black or global majority in the UK. And actually, it's really important that as educators, whatever our background, we have an understanding of um, how that presents in the UK um, and in the UK is really important as well. I think there are lots of texts that we can um, engage with that are about other parts of the world. But, you know, racism doesn't just exist in other parts of the world. It it, it occurs here as well. Um, and I think it's really important to have that knowledge and that understanding, because actually, if we don't have the racial literacy, it's really difficult to find the solutions. You can't fix something that you can't understand or you don't see or you don't have a full um understanding of how it interacts and plays out so it's really about every educator everybody in schools understanding how race and racism operates in the UK and therefore being well equipped to do the work of um, dismantling inequalities that exist I think that's probably and, and you know the ways that you develop it I think um, I often suggest it's the reading of texts. There are so many texts now about um, race and racism in the UK that are very specific to our context. It's about engaging with different texts. It's about listening to podcasts. It's about reading magazine articles. It's about watching particular programmes that are focused on, you know, the construct of the social construct of race and how it impacts on those lived experiences. Um, And I often say to schools that I work with, you know, it's 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 great some schools say to me oh we've got a book club and we've got all these books available and staff can come and read them if they choose and I'm like that's fantastic but actually where is the opportunity to come back and reflect on what that means for our setting our school our context um and it's really important that we have those opportunities to engage with those texts engage with those different sources but also come back and reflect on what that means for us and ideally that's what I'd love for the book is that staff have a chance to come back at school and think about you know what does this rubric tell us about our school what does this you know what do we think is happening um that's I think that's the best way for us to really think about how we um utilize that knowledge um for the benefit of the children and their families that's that's re- that that means a lot as you're talking about that means a lot to me because I've been thinking quite a lot recently like you said about how some of these like racial literacy and there are other words as well that are becoming much more well known for want of a better expression we're hearing them more uh some white people are using them more but but that understanding the context mm. is not just about knowing what the words are it's yeah. about what they mean and what they mean within the context of where you are, as you say, the context of the UK, the context of your own lived experience. So I'm a white woman. What, you know, what, what is, where do I sit within white privilege? What does that word mean for me as well? And what what is my white privilege? And I need to know that. Mm -hmm. So understanding that context of those words, because we are using these words now more often and they mustn't lose their meaning. No, and it's also it's also being able to put that language into context as well. So understanding, 
so as an example, um, I some I talk to schools about kind of their engagement with parents, for example, um, and challenging the privilege that you may have had an education system that was built for you and um, enabled you to thrive and therefore thinking that everybody has had that experience. But actually, if you have an understanding of education, the schools for the education subnormal in the UK and the impact that that had on um, largely the black community also had an impact on working class communities but actually if you understand that history then when you're talking to parents today who have definitely had that history or their parents have had that history it really changes the conversations that we have and it really changes um, our understanding of what the parents need from us so that we can assure them that that education system is not what their child is experiencing today Um, but that doesn't you won't have that without deepening your racial literacy deepening your understanding of those past historical scenarios that are still alive and kicking today and, and therefore we can't challenge them yeah, yeah. That kind of leads us on in a way to to the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which was um, r- related to your book, which was how can an individual, edu- what can an indiv- individual educator do to create an anti-racist classroom? Oh, Another question. question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sorry, um, I keep throwing them, throwing the big questions out there. No, no, it's fine. And it, it's, it's, I think it's good for us to all be having these debates and thinking yeah. about that work. I think um, what they can do, I think a lot of the things that I've said already are really important, deepening our racial literacy, starting with ourselves, being, you know, clear about our own um, experiences, the context that we've grown up in. But I think it's about... Um, ultimately, I think many of us come into the education system um, as a seeing it as a vocation. So it's something, you know, we're really committed to the, the well-being of children. We want all children to thrive. Um, and therefore, because we often come into it as a vocation, I think it's a very difficult job to do if you don't come into it as a vocation, by the way. It's never just a job. So um if you come into it with that sense of wanting to do better for all children, it can be really hard to want that and accept that there's racism in education. It can be really difficult to, it can be like a real struggle. Um, And I think it's really important that to do this work, we have to push ourselves to be open and honest about the different experiences that the children are having in our school that they may be having in our classroom. And that's a really difficult um, piece of evaluation for us to do. Um, I think, um, you know, we have, we're so busy all of the time that without the opportunity to reflect and evaluate, you can miss these things in the busyness of being a busy teacher or a busy educator. Um, You can miss opportunities to sit down and talk to your staff teams about, you know, what is happening for particular children. But actually, I think we have to be open and honest about the fact that there are systemic inequalities in our society and our school is a microcosm of society. So there are going to be systemic inequalities in our schools and our settings. Um, And it's about opening our eyes to that and being honest about where those differences and experiences happen. Um, That's a really tough piece of work to do but I think it's it's almost impossible to do this work without doing that without understanding 
Um, and I know that there are many kind of education establishments that have spoken to their school communities about what that looks like or how that feels within their settings. And I know, you know, um, that there are teams that are kind of really focusing on what those experiences look and feel like. But I think to do this work, um, we can't do it because, you know, we know that it's necessary and there are lots of children who might have experiences outside of our school. What we must focus on is we've also got to focus on what their experiences are inside. Um, And, you know, being honest about that doesn't mean that um, we're a school that... uh, don't care about children but what it means is that we care so deeply that we have to see those experiences because chances are most all children are not having the same experience for a variety of reasons and this is why this work is so important because when we start to begin to look at the systems in our schools and the different outcomes in that same system we're then in a space to really begin to find the solutions um, and I say that as someone who, you know, I've been in schools where we've looked at differential outcomes and there's always been reasons given as to why that exists. Um, but actually, when we're thinking about it as dismantling racism and dismantling inequalities in our schools, where those differences arise, we then begin to think about, OK, so what's the action? What can we do? What do we understand? What do we see? What do we need to do next? And, you know, I think that's really important for us as individuals and to 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 keep having the conversation, um, to keep to keep it alive, um, to keep coming back to it, to think about it in everything we do, whether that be our assessments or, you know, thinking about uh, academic outcomes or children's access to um different opportunities I think it's a conversation that we need to keep coming back to but I would say ultimately it's being open to the fact that there are children that are having differential outcomes and being able to see that yeah yeah that that keeping it alive thing because I can imagine there are situations where perhaps a school or a setting might have a bit of training or have a bit of some do or maybe read a book have some conversation whatever it is and then perhaps think ah Okay, we've done we've done that bit now. We've done that, and of course, yeah. that's not. No, and that that was one of the drivers for the book as well. If I'm honest, so mm-hmm. I do a lot of training, Jules. Um, I do a lot of training, and that's kind of grown over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often work with schools who um are very committed, but I also work with some that go, okay, we've done that. Could you just write us a little certificate to say we've done it and we can put it on the wall and all is well. And I'm really reticent about doing that because actually it's not about we've done this, we're fine, but actually it's about what's happening as a result of that training. What's the next steps going to be? What has it, and actually what happens is whenever I go in and do training, it brings up so much um, conversation with staff teams and then it's you know leadership teams can think they have to go in one direction and then you can do this training with staff team and suddenly you know okay so we need to think about these areas and how we do it over time and what that journey looks like it's part of a journey it's not the it's not the end of a journey or it's not the answer to the issue, the challenges that we face it's it's a part of the journey so i'm really that was one of the drivers for the book because it was about having something that continues that discussion um continues that work and it is it's effortful work it's it's hard yeah yeah and and moving on to another thing that i wanted to ask you about which was around when you go into schools where do you start in supporting them and then and then kind of moving a bit into that curriculum building 
aspect, mm. like building the diverse curriculum, decolonizing a curriculum, yeah. these things as well. How I think, am I right in thinking, does your book have a sort of audit as well? Yes. Because yes, I was thinking about that when I was when I was thinking about this bit of the conversation. Yes. Yeah. How do you how does all of that fit together to support a school to move forward and keep moving forward and build its curriculum? And yeah, so where do I start? That's a really interesting question because mm-hmm. I have learned never to start in the same place for any school. <laughs> because, because every school or setting has their own context. It has their own community. It has their own challenges. It has their own history. Um, and I have found that it's never helpful for a school to have a standard bog standard way that I approach working with schools because actually everybody everybody needs to be honest with you everybody needs something slightly different um and so I spend a long time with schools talking about their context and talking about what their needs are and asking them pushing them with some quite challenging questions sometimes to really be open about the challenges that that, that exist but also how they know that they exist so what's your reference point for what the challenges are who's told you that these are the challenges um how does the community play out in that how are they feeding back what those challenges are um are you making spaces safe enough for the community to say what the challenges are so i never start um in the same way at all it's always from the school or the settings context i think that's really important um and also i think that's a piece of work that can be done with staff teams so I've done that with senior leadership teams. I've done it with individuals. I've done it with whole staff teams. Um, And yeah, the different ways mean that you get different responses and um, kind of doing it with staff teams is really interesting because um, you get a much wider lens. So I think as senior leaders, we can convince ourselves of particular things about our schools. Um, and there are lots of reasons for that. You know, Offset a few years ago said that the happiest staff in schools were senior leaders, um, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But actually, you know, that ability to change, to drive change is quite important. But actually understanding how our staff teams feel and making a space safe enough for them to say what that experience looks and feels like. And, you know, it's not lost on me that I've also got to think about how I'm capturing in a safe way um kind of black or global majority staff's views of perceptions of a school um, and do they feel safe enough to say actually these are the challenges um how do you do that in a way that um is supportive of the school's aims so i would say i never start in the same way but absolutely starting with context first of all is really important um and I think it's from that that you're able to then find the journey that's going to be of most use. Um, I also really ask for a commitment to what's going to be done over the long term. So how do we make, you know, how do we make sense of what that's going to look like in the next year, two years, three years? Um, what, what does that look like in terms of what will the governors be doing as part of this work? Um, and that's a whole nother that's a whole nother podcast again but you know how do the how will staff feel that they are part of this journey how will the children feel that they're taking on this journey um you know and recognizing I think it's a it's really important I've talked quite a lot about talking to staff but also people voice is really powerful in this piece of work so what are the what are the what are the children saying what are their experiences um what does that look and feel like and I've done so much sort of staff voice and people voice 
um, and understand the ways for children to kind of reflect on their experiences. And children, um, from the minute they enter education spaces, can talk about those experiences. I think sometimes we think, oh, it's older children, but actually, if questions are um, asked in the correct way, children can give you um, a very clear understanding of what that environment feels like for them and what those you know what their daily experience and diet is and how they feel about that is very they, they they can give that very clearly from three I'd say um I haven't tried younger than three but you know I'm always open to <laughs> yeah um yeah. and I think I think those kind of areas I think it's really interesting it's really important to have that approach when you're doing any work in this field so when looking at the curriculum again um I do go in and have an audit and discussion points so I do go in and do an audit with schools often but I do start with the tell me what you think the context is tell me what you think your curriculum currently offers tell me what you think the gaps are in your curriculum um so that it's not coming from just I've come in and had a look and this is what the issues are but actually what what's the staff's perceptions of where their curriculum is at uh, you know how well they're doing at diversifying it or decolonizing it depending on what their approach is um but that's really important and it's not sometimes I will go into a uh, school or something they'll be like so we're talking about diversifying the curriculum so here's the history lead for you and I sort of go oh that's really interesting thank you very much um but you know it's not the work of just the history leads um actually if we're diversifying our curriculum every curriculum area should be involved um whether that be history English maths um IT modern foreign languages whatever the whatever the um whatever is called curriculum needs to be involved in that discussion. So having as wide a conversation as possible um, is going to be a really important piece of that work. Um, and obviously, you know, in schools and settings, you'll have people that are really experienced at doing this work. Um, and they're not always talking to the less experienced staff who are doing this work. So having that joined up conversation about the context, about the curriculum and what I should see when I look at it, what the gaps are, is really helpful. Um, just in understanding the staff's perceptions of what diversifying the curriculum means, um, but also it just really supports when doing the audit um, and thinking about those responses and kind of thinking about what I see as well. And the audit's quite helpful in that it's not something that I often do in isolation I often do it with staff so um not me in a cupboard somewhere looking at this curriculum and saying these are all the issues that exist but actually with staff going through that audit having talked about the context and really understanding um and I do I do offer a little bit of support in terms of you know, having that deepened racial literacy, I can ask particular questions that may not be asked if I wasn't there. Um, but ultimately, it's kind of that collaborative approach to completing an audit is quite helpful in that piece of work and necessary. Um, I think lots of people say to me, can you just send me, can you just send me the audit and we'll do it? Um, and it, it, all those things that I've talked about, about working in collaboration and kind of the context, it doesn't always happen if you send it in isolation so um and having that kind of ex that that experience that I have kind of lends itself to having those interesting conversations so I don't tend to share it in its entirety on its own because I think it's a piece of work that shouldn't be done in isolation that's really interesting it's that thing I suppose of of everything that you've described you know 
the whole community of a school from governors down to the if they've got three-year-olds in their nursery to school or whatever you know that yeah. whole community because schools are really complicated places just from the very nature of all of the different roles that there are within them all of the different types of people that there are within them and, and the, the kind of that all shapes what that community is and then what I was thinking was it was really interesting what you said about the audit and involving people because I guess that that then creates they become invested in it yes because it's not you arriving and saying well I've done yeah. this audit and this is what you need to do but actually they are also saying oh yes this is what we need to do and this is what we've brought to the table for this discussion and there's that kind of investment and buy-in into that experience Absolutely. And it also empowers subject leaders mm-hmm. to be really clear with staff about why we're doing this work so that mm-hmm. they're not just getting this changed lesson plan without any of the backstory as to why it's been changed or what the narratives are that we're trying to challenge or the purpose of those particular, you know. And, and I think sometimes if you um, if you skip that bit, you can then have staff that are sharing plans and without kind of that racial literacy to understand what it is they're trying to do through them um so yeah it's for me it's more about um I kind of feel like once I've worked with the school on their curriculum when I step away um it's understanding that they've got all the bits to ensure that it's a racially literate curriculum it's a curriculum that challenges narratives of oppression it's a curriculum that focuses on social action and allows the children to be activists and impact on their own communities and wider and see themselves as change makers. Uh, That's really important. And you mentioned their subject leaders. Um, Mm. And is there anything and and how it's actually really important that they have the understanding of the whole process so that they can then do the work with the with the rest of the 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 school and the the educators is there anything else that subject leaders need to kind of keep in mind um in their role around this work so it's it's really interesting because when i do a lot of staff um voice across a number of schools um i've done so many now that um there are there are common themes that come out so whenever um often what comes out from subject leaders is um a kind of fear and I think it, this was talked about in the another running me trust report with um penguin about literacy lit in color um that idea that staff have to be the font of all knowledge they have to know everything. They have to be the experts. So if you've got a diverse curriculum, you have to be the expert. And actually the amount of fear that that can create um, in us as teachers, um, because we didn't have that education when we were at school. We d- we weren't privy to a diverse curriculum and therefore we're having to learn what that looks like and what and how to do that without maintaining stereotypes, how to do that without... Um, uh, challenging you know it's having role models that are current and you can't do any of that if you haven't had that education so actually there's a lot of fear about oh my goodness I have to be the expert in this subject and I'm not um and I think that learning process is really important for us as subject leaders to be open about that you know this isn't my forte I didn't have this sort of education I didn't have this in my teacher training this is all new to me I'm starting from the beginning and being, you know, being free to be able to say that is really important. But being in a school where they understand that 
um, and therefore put things in place. So, you know, when I do staff voice, there's always lots of work about, you know, where do I get the time to deepen my subject knowledge to where are the experts that can support me in this work that I'm doing? Um, how do I, um, you know, how do I access resources that are available that can help me to really think about doing this well? Um, so not just, you know, I think um, sometimes, you know, I, the curriculum can be seen as the panacea for all our, all of our issues around race. Um, and it's not, um, it's one arm, it's one area. Um, and it's really important that we uh, recognize that there's so much that comes along uh, as well as the diverse curriculum. And that's, you know, it's, it's just really important to put that into context. So when we're doing this work, um, it's never in isolation, but when we are doing it, we're thinking about how it relates to all of the other work that we do and all of the other systems that we have. So for me, the curriculum is really about, um, I have lots of people say to me, you know, well, yes, you used to work in a diverse borough, so it's definitely needed a diverse curriculum. And being able to say to people actually, no, in fact, the the more mono, monocultural school is potentially the more that they need to diversify their curriculum. If we're preparing our children for what I have termed to be anti-racist leaders of the future, if that's what we want for our children, then every child needs to have a diverse curriculum. Every child needs to um, see the benefits of everyone that they share the UK with. And I think for subject leaders to um get support in doing that is going to be really important and you know it, and will show a school's commitment to doing this work and doing it well so you know things like um I created uh, a set of resources in Hackney with some amazing teachers um I think it's called um Hackney's Diverse Curriculum and we did that in 2020 but they are downloadable PowerPoints that are editable, that staff can access, that have lots of diverse um, content and really to act as a model, um, can be adapted, can be pulled apart, can be, but you know, can you may not even use them, but actually just seeing them and understanding them can be quite helpful in that journey. Um, but, you know, having access to resources, trying to find ways to deepen subject knowledge. Um, there's so many, I, I get invited, it's really interesting because I've done this work, I get invited to so many um, talks that happen at museums where they want people to engage with artifacts. And, you know, and I just think um, that, you know, how do schools engage with that? How do they access that? And how do we do it in a way that, um, you know, everyone's so super busy, it's really hard to get out of school it's really hard to find time to engage with these resources, but actually a whole school commitment to finding opportunities. And that's the other thing about doing the, it as a team, because as a subject leader in isolation, that can feel quite overwhelming. But if you're working as a team, um, whether that be within your subject or across subjects, it just really helps to share the load and to do that work together and to find opportunities to deepen. And once you start doing it, it it's uh, it, you'll get a ripple effect and it will become so much easier. But actually, it's being aware of the fact that we don't all have the subject knowledge, we don't all have the experience, and it's finding ways to deepen that, but also if possible, being in a school where we can get commitment to us doing that um, and resources to be able to do that and do it well. Yeah. I feel like I've over-explained that one. No, no. I, <laughs> I I think that was excellently explained. And I really like the way it flowed from the from the kind of 
how do you support a school into the kind of subject lead yes the idea was really good I'm, I want I'm curious to talk a bit more about um creating social change and the educator in that space that kind of activism idea and I know I read to somewhere else I read that you wrote um you you said our classrooms really are a place where history can be changed mm. and I just wanted to talk a bit more with you about that idea of the of the educator's role in creating social change and that kind of activism role of an educator if that's okay yeah definitely um it's it's really interesting because I um I often talk about where the, the importance of us doing this work, for example, the importance of us um, dismantling inequalities, challenging racism in schools, really for our children, the first place that they understand that an institution, an institution's response to inequality, the first place they are going to understand that is in our schools. So we have a huge responsibility in how we show our children um, that we can and do do things differently, that we can create social change, that we can empower them to to be the change that they need to see. These are all things that are are vital to us and we teach them, we teach that response very early on. So if we don't get that response right, um, my fear is that when they intersect with other institutions and systems, what we've done is kind of upheld inequalities rather than sought to challenge them. So I do think that educators have a unique position in which we can empower children to see their their um their place in that change. So I think I've often, you know, we talk about I think social change has probably been something that's been talked about in education for a very long time. Um and I often talk even in school as a teacher I would speak to children about sort of activists and people that have created change and you know and and they would often tell me about people that are across the Atlantic or on you know come from you know so it was either Malcolm X, Martin Luther King or Nelson Mandela were the ones that they would tell me which absolutely um fun you know fantastic role models in terms of that those civil rights change but what actually happened by doing that is that actually the children were led to believe that you could only create social change if you were from the US or if you were a freedom fighter in South Africa. And they never were able to connect with what does that mean for me? Because that felt like something that was separate to them or something that was very far away from them. So it was really what a lot of the work that I think for teachers around social change is how do we empower children to understand that they can Mm. direct change that they can have impact and there's a number of ways that I speak about that in the book whether that be you know um having social action projects in the class where you might say to the children what are the issues in our local community what can we do to fix them and how do we go about doing that and empowering them to know the different ways that you can action change to know that you can have impact and to see the outcomes of your work and to be really proud of that impact that you've had um i think is going to be really powerful for our children um to understand that you know whenever i do people voice lots of kind of secondary age high school age children will say to me we're really like we always hear about um 
old or dead people that create change. We never hear about people today. We never hear about people that can inspire us now. Um, so, you know, who are those role models that we're sharing? And also, are those role models coming? Where are the role models locally? So there are, there will be role models in our locality that are even more, um, you know, that, that being hyper-local means that's even more relevant to the children. Um, they can absolutely connect their experience with those of others that are creating social change. So I think an educator that is um, really wants to empower their children and create that social change. It's about, I think for us, it's not, it's not only about these are the things that have happened, but it's also about these are the things that we can do. And this is what it looks like in action. Um, and a lot of that I think came out of the work after the Black Lives Matter protests of summer 2020, there were a lot of young people who wanted to affect change and they saw lots of protests and weren't really sure how they could place themselves in that. Well, what can we do? Um, and actually it wasn't about, it was just about finding different forms of activism and being shown activism through art, activism through poetry, activism through um, lobbying, like there were so many different ways um, and really empowering our children to leave school with a real clear sense of this is how I can affect change for the good in my community and this is how I can have impact and have agency because agency is really powerfully important. So I think for subject leaders and for educators, it's, yeah, it's all of that and, and probably more, but yeah. Yeah, I love that that idea that how an educator actually can create social change and work on their own activism is by is by giving children opportunities yes to act yeah in their real spaces you know and that's so it's that creating those those, those activists of the future if you like that social change for the future that's teachers are about the future really aren't they that's what they're Absolutely. all about that's yeah. a, that's our that's our work. That's our work exactly. What I would add as well, Jules. Sorry, just while you were saying that, because it's yeah. reminded me about um, if we're creating social change, mm-hmm. and children are hyper aware of our response to inequality, they're hyper aware of what are you going to do if this bullying incident arises? What are you going to do if this person says this to me? What are you going to do if this is unfair? So the children are hyper aware of um, our response to activism. They, they know if we're activists, they know if we're seeking social change um, and they will see it in the curriculum that we offer. But I think it's really important for us to recognize. And again, I talk about this in the book, it's really important for us to realize that they will also see it in the actions of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that brings us beautifully to our last question. Although I feel like we could keep going for ages, but yeah, we, yeah. we are on our last conversation point, which which was, I just wondered who has influenced and inspired you in your work? Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting question because I, yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. So I have worked with some really um, amazing women in education that have been a real, uh, leading light for me in terms of being I I don't think it's brave actually um but in helping me to understand and recognize that I can speak my truth and I can um 
in order to affect change and I can be in the space of anti-racism in education and um, help to change systems that exist that existed for me when I was a child that existed for my parents when they were children that are in some ways in a disheartening way actually still existing for my children today um but I've worked with some amazing women that have really inspired me to to do this work and to walk in this piece of work and to be confident and even when it feels weary to keep going and um to 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 remain tied to my core purpose um and my moral compass of why I do this work um there are probably too many of them to mention but I think in terms I think probably it's really difficult because somebody said to me do you have a specific teacher for example that Mm. kind of inspired this work and I don't if I'm honest which is quite but, but that that in itself was a motivation to be that teacher that could do that for other children. That was exactly what, that was my vocation. Um, I was inspired um, and I was motivated and I was pushed to do this because it was really important that knowing what I felt the gaps were, that I was able to provide that for other children. I was able to be the reason for other children why they keep going and why they push themselves. But ultimately, I... <sighs> I want to say my dad, who, um, I've, I've, yeah, I talk about my dad quite often because he um, he was sort of second generation, came here um, from Jamaica, had a really challenging experience and existence in the education system, mm-hmm. and then had the racial trauma of understanding that his children were having a really challenging experience at times not in the same way by any stretch of the imagination but um we're still experiencing inequalities even though they weren't as blatant as what he experienced which was very harrowing um or what his friends experienced in the education system so you know for him understanding that 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 trauma still existed um having children trying to bring them up in a school in which they were the minority um trying to have conversations with staff about his children's experiences in their school and them not being open to that and yet him still pushing and one of the things that he did was I mean I was at school in the 80s I'm definitely giving away how old I am here (laughs) but one of the things that he did in my school in the 80s was he fought and fought and fought until he got in the governing body And he was like, I'm going to be on that governing body and I'm going to make sure that I can drive change and create change for my children. And he was the only black person on that governing body for years. Um, He he got on there. um, He took the role really seriously. He read every document for every meeting. He was really committed to it. um, And that was because he wanted to ensure that while his children were in that school, he was you know part of that accountability structure part of that structure that improved outcomes for children and that meant a huge amount to us as a family and actually gave us a really good model um and because I could you know I came from a family who you know would my my parents both my mum and dad understood the challenges that we faced but would always kind of give us the solutions they were it was a bit like a social action family how are we going to fix this what are we going to do how are we going to respond to this in a way that means that we all learn from it that you know that you you continue to flourish that it doesn't dampen your outcomes and we you know it was a it was a hard journey but my mum and dad were really committed to that to us thriving in a way 
um, that they hadn't been able to. Um, and I think I then became a parent that wanted to do that for my children. Um, and then I actually wanted to do it for everyone else's children as well, if I could. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that was definitely my, my dad mm-hmm. um, was definitely a huge role model for me. Um, and then my mum and dad, just in terms of, you know, let's create change. Let's, let's do this. Let's, you know, let's, we've got minimal resources, but we're going to do what we can. And I think that that's definitely fed into um, the work that I do and sort of, you know, they're my barometer as well. So whenever I've done something like every, any article I've written, I, I'm like, dad, tell me what you think. Or, you know, he, my dad was overjoyed about the book or, you know, and I have a very supportive family who are my litmus test for everything that I do. <laughs> But because I was brought up in a family that, you know, you you can have agency all in and you can affect change. And I think that was a really important, um, that was the fire beneath me that allowed me to do this work. Thank you, Orlean. There's there's a there's and so many threads as I've been listening to you all the way through, but one of them just just came up again at the end there, which was about about action so you 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 think what is what is it what what, what's the thing that we need to address and what are we going to do about it and you mentioned it there with your family but you mentioned it also in in classrooms in individual teachers you know what what are we thinking about we need to understand it and then what are we going to do how are we going to act the action and the action is the most important bit because that's the bit that's going to change that's the bit that's going to move the dial that's the bit that and that's the bit that schools that are reticent about doing this work are not ready to do. So um, I work, you know, I, I'm in the field of education and can see where schools are not ready to do this work. Um, it, it's about, you know, the action feels scary. It feels like there's a huge amount to do. Um, and it is scary because it's a realm that we haven't necessarily been part of before. But once you've seen something, you can't unsee it. Um and then if you see it and you do nothing, you uphold it. So actually, if we're going to disrupt, it's that commitment to, and what does that look like over time? And not committing to doing everything right now, but committing to being on that journey and to show how that journey will um, play out. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Orlean. That's been just such a, a powerful conversation today. Really appreciate you joining us. Oh, thank you, Jules. Thanks so much.